Welcome to Ex Libris On Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. A presentation of Ex Libris Publishing, host connects with the writer to share the vision and inspiration behind their works. Insightful, informative, and always entertaining, please welcome this week's edition of Ex Libris On Air. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled, It's Not What I Know, It's How I Learned It. And my guest, who's joining me from somewhere in the great state of Georgia, near Atlanta, is Dr. Richard B. Leposky. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure, Jay. You are a medical doctor, if I'm understanding your personal history. Is that also correct? Well, I, I'm a maxillofacial surgeon. I, I started out as a dentist and went on to uh, special training in facial reconstructive surgery and and uh, and on to medical school, too. But the main thing is I did facial reconstructive surgery for many years. Pretty intense stuff. And, uh, well, I say stuff, a pretty intense line of work or line of, line of focus. <laughs> I was able to do it without having any extra parts left over, too, so it that's, worked out well. That's fantastic. When I'm repairing or assembling anything, I always have bolts and nuts left over. usually end up throwing them in the trash. Yeah, not a good idea with uh, surgery. Not a good idea. Your book is unique from this perspective. Although your work is autobiographical in content, it also has some inspirational and motivational themes related not only to the medical profession, but also business. Yeah, it is, uh, because uh, not only was I, you know, as a professional uh, and surgeon, but I've been in business since, uh, in one form or another, since I was about 10 years old. So, Wow. My dad always taught me about businesses and 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 uh you know you learn as you as you grow and it, the front part of the book has to do with developing the business mind and and that's that's an important part and an important message to get across that it's a learning process and your journey from failure to success from starting something to succeeding is is uh, a matter of learning as you go. Uh, you just don't open your door one day and have a successful business. It's a function of all the things you learned up until that point. So uh, that's what this book is about. Uh, it's a book to uh, to chronicle uh, my 65 years of business experience uh, and then uh, how I applied all those principles and all the things that I learned. Hence, hence the title, It's Not What I Know, It's How I Learned It. Beginning at 10 years of age, the typical business for a 10-year-old is uh, delivering papers or something else. Was it in that genre, or is it something else? Well, it, it was, but uh, I like to tell the story about me. Uh, I was an aircraft manufacturer. You know, I, I found that I could buy model airplane kits for, for 10 cents apiece or, uh, or 12 for uh, $12. So I figured I could make the ones I wanted and sell the extra ones and make money. Well, I found out very soon that nobody wanted to buy my model airplane kits. <laughs> so then I uh, I decided that I would build the model airplanes and sell the airplanes. And now that I've built them, I could sell them for 50 cents a piece. And I found after a period of time that I had 12 model airplanes laying around and nobody wanted to buy them. Hmm. So that was sort of uh, an entree into learning about uh, developing a market, too. So um, it was a great idea for, for an eight-year-old, but it was uh, 
uh, I learned the experience too. Was your was your family uh, uh, bathed in entrepreneurship, or was that something that you developed personally? No, I, my dad had a lot to do with it. He uh, he worked in the mill, uh, and his message to me from his from my first remember was, uh, you know, get an education, uh, get a good job, and then work for yourself. Hmm. And uh, you know, before I even knew what all that meant, that's what I was destined to do. And, um, and, you know, he worked in the mill, but he always had something going on the side. You know, he worked in the mill, but he worked, at night he went to school and learned cabinetry and carpentry. And, and when the mills shut down, uh, you know, he had another business. And then when we moved to the farm, he didn't know anything about farming, but, uh, but we learned and we actually survived off the farm. We couldn't grow it. We didn't eat it. And, uh, uh, and that, unfortunately or fortunately, we learned the survival skills of life, you know, and um, and being resourceful. That's why Chapter 1 is uh, titled Growing Up from the City to the Farm. Typically, we think of the farmers moving to the city, but in your family situation, it was the opposite. You moved from the city to the farm. Yeah, and that was survival. I mean, my dad wanted, uh, wanted to... Uh, to Well, I shouldn't... I guess I would say he wanted to survive because he knew the mills were not going to last forever and if we learned those skills of growing food and and uh learn you know with with nature and it's an important lesson we learned you know if you plant a tomato seed don't go out there the next day with vinegar and oil you got to wait for it to grow you have to fertilize it you have to wait for the moment when you can pick the tomato the other thing is if you plant a tomato don't go out there and expect a pork chop. So nature says you plant a seed, you grow it, you nurture it, and it, when the time is right, you harvest. And that's the same message in business. And in the business, you know, you have the idea, you grow the idea, you develop it, you nurture the idea, you get all the elements in place, and that's when the idea becomes fruitful. You have and that's what we did. You have shared personal stories in your book. Are there other individuals you highlighted in and and highlighted their stories as well? Well, yes. Uh, 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 one was uh, my surgical coach and mentor was uh, Dr. George Satirianis, and and he was actually probably the the leader in developing the current facial reconstructive surgery procedures. Because when we first started doing facial surgery, it was very limited, not only by technology, but by skills and by the knowledge, the history of how the, how the surgery could be performed. Hmm. And, uh, you know, it affected, you know, there were political ramifications uh, because there, was, there were surgeons that said, you know, well, this is the way we've always done it, so we can't do it any other way. You know, and there always has to be someone who says, but there might be a better way. Right. So my experience came from from uh, war injuries where, you know, the face was in many, many pieces and all over the place, and you worked with whatever you had to rebuild that face for that young man or woman. And that was non-traditional when we got back, when I got back to the States, because now I knew that you could take a face apart and put it back together and mm. it would work. Whereas up until that time on the state side, there were certain areas you just didn't touch because you were afraid the face would fall apart. 
Wow. Now that may be oversimplifying it, but but Dr. Soterianus had vision, and and he was willing to buck the politics for the sake of the patient. And I I owe so much to that guy because you know he he stepped out, and even today, you know, I mean, I I think about him, I say, my goodness, you know, you don't know what you did, but we he and then I had some influence on it. You know, was able to learn from him. And we actually developed surgical procedures that uh, became some of the foundation for uh, current surgery. Incredible. Technology has passed those procedures up, but they were the foundation. You know, I, I, I think it's a. I think he did so much for so many patients, and, and he's a guy that uh, we all should be thankful. Uh, your book then would be termed, or could be termed, motivation to innovation in some of your aspects oh, of, of developing business. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, again, the motivation is you know, whatever motivates you to do something. And again, gets back to trying to solve a problem, whether it's developing a business and solving a problem, or like in my profession, trying to help a patient, uh, whatever it is, you know, it's, you gotta have, you gotta have a reason to do something. And then you have to be able to gather up all the knowledge that you've had in the past and uh, and come up with a solution or a possible solution. It's all a series of building blocks, and, and that my that my story is about that. You know, when I was sitting in, in the jungles in Honduras, I wasn't thinking about 57 Chevy. You know, we hmm. were thinking about survival, and we were thinking about the injuries that we were dealing with and what paraphernalia, what supplies, what instruments do we have in those moments to help those patients. Today, we worry about perfect sterility, but there we had chickens in the operating room, mm. you know. So it's a little bit different. Sure. In Chapter 11, you talk about politics and patient care. Uh, that is a hot topic no matter what generation you're from or in. How did you address that chapter, Correct. and what's the content? Well, that, that chapter has to do with, with the changes that we were making in, in facial surgery and in management of patients. As as dentists, we were working within the mouth, but as facial reconstructive surgery, we were working on on the whole the whole face. And then when you explain, go beyond that, and you say, but then the face is connected to a head, and you have an alive patient there, with all the emotion and all the other ramifications. And then what I saw, and what I was, and what we fought and worked hard and and dealt with was was at that time medicine was going through changes where we were now moving to having administrate professional administrators run hospitals as opposed to the doctors run hospitals. Right. Today, administrators run hospitals. But back then, that was an important change. So we saw things like territories. You know, certain doctors had their territory. And if a patient went for a second opinion to another doctor, then they couldn't come back to their own position because now they violated that territory. Incredible. That was unprofessional, hmm. but it was true. And, and boy, when you saw that, if you if you bucked the system, they could kick you off the staff or they could ostracize you from practicing in that community. That has changed today. That's all part of growth. But what I write about is how we dealt with those things. And some of it was very painful, but you know, we saw doctors, I saw doctors, very competent doctors that that had to leave a community just because of the political things. I saw patients that were were uh, caught up in the politics, you know, that mm. didn't get the care that they needed because of political things. If you went to a, a hospital outside of your community 
to get that second opinion, you couldn't come back to your own hospital. Well, that's today we we wouldn't even think twice about that. That's incredible. But back then, it was very very it was very serious stuff. So it's all part of growth. It's not a negative thing. It's just the growth processes that we go through in life, and, and that's what I chronicle in here. How long did it take you, Doctor Leposky, to, to finish this this uh, book of uh, two hundred and forty one pages? Well, it took me 65 years to figure it out. <laughs> but no, it, it, it took me, I guess, I made the decision to do something probably about five years ago, and then to physically compose it and get all the data and documentation. That took me about two years to actually uh, get it into a place where somebody could read it. And as you completed this, what was your thoughts? What was your reasoning behind sharing your history and the 65 years of business growth that you have uh, experienced and viewed? Well, it was, it, it was my story, but it was something that I think if someone can read it and they can, they can realize that, that uh, success is a journey and that, it's not, you're gonna, that you're gonna have challenges and don't let those challenges be roadblocks for you. They're just nothing more than detours. So long as you don't quit, Failure is not an issue. You can fail, don't quit, fail again, don't quit, but eventually you'll succeed. And, and my premise when I speak to people is to say, you know, you're not a failure unless you quit. You've included many photos in your book as well. Those are from your archive of uh, service to nations overseas. Yes, yes. Yeah, th- those were just to make some of the points, but yes, they're photos of work in Honduras. I worked... Uh, with the freedom fighters in Honduras. That was all part of the International Medical Corps, by the way. That was not just me going on my own. It was all part mm. of you know, volunteer service into, uh, into Central America to help the people down there. And, uh, of course, in Vietnam, that was part of my Air Force duties there. What do you hope to accomplish by sharing your story? Well, I hope that it can, it can uh, um, motivate the reader to not be afraid of the challenges of his business or of his life and motivate them to move on. You know, we can't change the past, so, but you, you can learn from it. So I want the person reading the book to say, hey, you know, look at all the things that, that Dr. Leposky went through, and he never quit. He, he may have felt like it, and he may have had very life-threatening situations, but you know, once the situation is over, you move on. It, yeah, it can cause problems. You can think about it. You can worry about it over time. But you have to move on because life's going to move on without you anyways. It absolutely so, will. Don't, don't, be, don't be afraid to fail. It's only part of the essence of, of becoming successful. Uh, Dr. Leposky, I understand you've been married nearly 50 years. How did your duties and your overseas travel affect your family? And what did you want to pass on? Yeah, the, the, the key thing. You know, my my wife, a great lady, you know, she lived through all this. She support, supported everything, you know, that we did. But for the the girls, like we had four daughters, the message I wanted them uh, to leave with them and is, you know, number three things. Number one, know the difference between right and wrong and always choose to right. Number two, always be accountable for yourself and, and your actions. And the last thing is to never stop learning. Mm. Now, those three things... I wanted for those the girls, but but that's I feel applicable to every young person today. Know the difference between right and wrong, and always choose right. And number two, be accountable for your actions. 
Don't blame somebody else for your actions. And the third thing is never stop learning. If you never stop learning, you know, you're going to continue to grow. But the day you stop learning, that's the day you quit growing. And that's not good. Not good. So these are the gifts that you know, we wanted to leave with our children. And my girls are all successful women in business. And, and, uh, and not because we said to be in business, because they saw, you know, they had visions and they pursued them. And, and that's sort of successful. Beautifully stated. Wonderful advice. Thank you for sharing your story, your history, which is remarkable and also some wonderful insight into business and business growth and motivation and all of those other important topics that you have developed over 65 years of learning. Uh, Thank you for sharing that with my audience. The title of the book, again, is It's Not What I Know, It's How I Learned It. And my guest has been Dr. Richard B. Leposky. Doctor, how do my listeners get a copy of your book and also keep in contact with you? You can go actually to itsnotwhatiknow.com, the name of the book, itsnotwhatiknow.com. Uh, and you can order them on there, or you can go to Amazon and Barnes and Noble, uh, you know, the major book sellers. But uh, certainly, uh, just put my name in the search engine, or go to it's not what I know dot com, and we can get them for you. So. Fabulous! It's Dr. Richard B. Laposky is spelled L I P O S K Y. If you're doing a search online, your local bookseller can also order this in for you. Highly recommend the reading, 241 pages. It's uh, filled with uh, wonderful stories, including photos of some of the challenging operations and the medical miracles that were also part of that journey. Listeners, let me remind you also, it's notwhatyouknow.com, where you'll find commentary and inspirational comments and blogs from our author, Dr. Richard B. Leposky. Thank you again for sharing your story with us today. It's my pleasure. Thank you again. My pleasure. For Ex Libris On Air, this is J. Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Get ready to live la bella vita with Dawn Catherine on Toginet.com. Live la bella vita. If you're wanting to know all the beauty tricks of the trade and the latest fashion trends before everyone else, this is your show. If you admire celebrities' beauty and their fashion sense, this is your show. Do you love wine and want to know more about the process it takes to make wine from the vine to the bottle? This is your show. Live La Bella Vita. For more on the show and your host, check out our website, LaBellaVitaCosmetico.com. This is the kind of show you can sink your teeth into. If you enjoy traveling and food and family, all with an Italian flair, then you can live La Bella Vita with your host, Dawn Catherine. Wednesday nights at midnight, 11 p.m. Central, on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Ex Libris. Greetings for Ex Libris on air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled Turbulence. And my author, John W. Van Cleef, joins me from Florida in the United States. Welcome, sir, to the program. Thank you. Your book has a double or triple meaning. The word turbulence can mean a lot of things. The uh, opening cover of your of your novel and of your I'm sorry of your um, of your memoir shows, I believe, you in the cockpit of a large aircraft and an aircraft on the back that has to do with air travel, but your book really deals with more than that in your memoir, does it not? Yes, it does, yeah. 
Share a little of your uh, background. You, you, you have Venezuela, you have uh, the United States, you have Holland in the uh, content. Share what the, what the term or the word turbulence means in your uh, understanding or the way that you have uh, titled your, your memoir. Uh, we came up with that name uh, because of uh, well, I had a pretty difficult childhood uh, and problems with my uh, my my family. They sent me away when I was like six years old, which was pretty dramatic. Uh, and then, of course, turbulence in the air. <laughs> of course, your your yeah. your mom and dad, your your biological mother and father, uh, they met in the Caribbean, if I'm understanding the history correctly, and uh, became married and lived in was it Venezuela? Was that the the area that you that you uh, were brought up in? Uh, I I was brought up in uh, Venezuela for six years, and then I was sent to Holland, but. Uh, my father and my mother met on a ship going down to, my mother was going to Barbados, and uh, my father was going to Venezuela, which is another day travel, but that's where they met. And my father used to go to Barbados uh, like every month or so to see my mother, and after a year they got married. You have described your mother as a very intelligent lady, although not formally uh, educated. Uh, she uh, and your father were able to meet some dignitaries, some people of influence during their travels. How did that come about, and how did they fit in in that circle? Well, uh, for example, uh, we we lived in Australia for, for one year, and uh, while going down to Australia. We went from San Francisco to Australia, which is a long, long trip <laughs> by yes, boat. Definitely. Uh, they met a couple, and uh, the, the the man was a professor in, in California, and he was sent down to Australia to find out why grapes didn't grow very well in Australia. And now uh, Australia is a pretty big uh, wine country. So... That's, uh, they, they, they met this person on the boat. You have, you have uh, a very interesting history because you did end up uh, being returned to uh, Holland to be brought up by foster parents. I think the foster dad was a minister, if I'm understanding your story correctly. How, yeah. how, how long did you live with the foster parents, and, and uh, how did that influence your life? Oh, they had a big influence on me. Yeah, he was a, a intellectual, uh, and he was also a minister of the Dutch Reformed Church. Uh, I, I was with them for like uh, uh, twelve years. Twelve years to to almost early adulthood, then. Pardon me. Till almost early adulthood, almost eighteen. Is that uh, correct? Yeah. Yes, sir. Correct. And you returned or, or ended up in the United States. How did you become interested in air travel and uh, the the profession of being a pilot? I was always fascinated by uh, airplanes since I was a kid. And uh, I always wanted to be a pilot, but I, I didn't know if I could make it. And uh, in the military, I tried to join uh, or become a pilot. But I couldn't pass the hearing test, and I think it was the guy that was giving me the uh, the, the hearing test. Didn't know how to operate the machine, but 
afterwards, I got my private pilot's license and all the licenses to become uh, eventually an instructor and then get hired by American Airlines. And so there was nothing wrong with my hearing. <laughs> You've traveled worldwide not only as a pilot, but also before becoming a pilot. Your family was very uh, adventuresome, I guess, would be the, or adventurous would be the way to describe it. Well, we lived in Venezuela, which is really close to the Caribbean. And my parents used to go through the Caribbean a lot. They had friends in Barbados and Trinidad. And I've been on almost every island in the Caribbean. Uh, and then later on, when I started flying for American Airlines, I used to fly the Caribbean a lot. Why did you decide to, to share your story, John? You're, you have a, a fascinating history, of course, but what was the motivation behind putting it into print? Well, I never had uh, any intention of writing a biography, but uh, I had friends and uh, family. They insisted that I write a book because they said I had such an interesting life. <laughs> It, it is it, it is an interesting read, 192 pages. How long did it take once you decided, well, I guess I'll give in and, and do what my friends and family have suggested and write this this memoir? How long did it take, John, to go back and uh, recap things? A little over two years, uh, yeah. One thing that I found of interest, besides you have included some wonderful photos of, of uh, life in in Holland, you have uh, included a photo of one of your school teachers. Share a little bit, yeah. a little of how that inf- in impacted your life, Ms. Grin- uh, Grinvestuck. I, I think I went, it was. When I went to Holland, I couldn't speak uh, Dutch. I was brought up uh, speaking Spanish, English. I even went to a French school in Venezuela. The elementary schools are very bad over there, hmm. but. Uh, Let's see. What was the question? Uh, well, I was asking about Miss Grevenstuck. I think is is the uh, or Grevenstuk. I'm not sure how her name is pronounced, but uh, one of your elementary school teachers that you. Oh uh, yeah. You oh had. yeah. The school teacher. Yeah. The, we had only two school teachers in in that school. It was tiny. It was mostly where farm kids went to, and uh, she spoke English, and she helped me learn the Dutch language uh, a little. Uh, quicker uh, by keeping me in class for like an hour after school and she spoke English the headmaster didn't speak English but uh, my my uh, school teacher uh, she uh, she spoke English so we could at least communicate Amazing. She also was a a lady that uh, lived at least to 101 years old is the, the photo that you have in your book you also, yeah. she also remembered you as a student because you had given her a gift, and she had retained that. Yes. Was there any other than the the language training and studies that she c- contributed to your life? Were there other things about that relationship that were memorable? Yeah, uh, the headmaster sometimes was pretty nasty to her. I, I, I always defended her. <laughs> uh, yeah. Which which of the stories in your book do you think is uh, is the one that you enjoyed telling the most? Uh, there's so many stories in there, but uh, 
like my experience in Saudi Arabia was pretty pretty unique. I flew a lot of dignitaries all over the world, and it was really an interesting uh, time in my life. What do you think shaped you the most in all of your experiences? Shaped me the most. Shape, yeah. Well, shaped you into into the oh, resolute person that you are. Was, probably the influence from my uh, foster parents. Uh, they they helped me an awful lot, and they had a huge uh, influence on me. And I'm are, very lucky. Are, are you retired now from uh, from flying, or are you still active? No, I, I retired uh, almost, uh, let's see, like 13 years ago. 13 years ago. And uh, yeah, you're just taking it easy in Florida. Are you planning to write a sequel to this, or is this your first and well, last book? This my first book. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to, I wouldn't mind writing some more, but uh, I'm having a really hard time marketing this book. Yes. To market it with a professional is very expensive, and I'm, I'm just <laughs> running out of money trying to well, get this book going. Well, you can't take it with you. You might as well spend it and enjoy it. I mean, that's uh, that's that's what they say. Uh, this yeah. this will give the reader influence, or not influence, but a background story, not only of your personal life, but also a little insight into the airline airline industry, the travel industry. The title of the book, again, is Turbulence. Uh, has uh, multiple meanings, of course, and on the cover you'll find the photo of our author John W. Van Cleef, and Van Cleef is spelled V-A-N, uh, then uh, space, and then K-L-E-E-F, F, and uh, if cool. you want to do a search online, you can find it that way, but how else can they get a copy of your book, John? Well, it's for sale at Amazon, and um, it's also at Barnes and Nobles, but it's kind of ridiculous. They have it at Barnes and Nobles only on special order. It should be uh, among new uh, releases and maybe a, uh, a plaque or some kind of advertising. It's, who has ever heard of my name and who's ever heard of the name of the book, you know? Well, they can go to their local bookseller worldwide and uh, request it under the name of the book, Turbulence, and uh, should be able to get it ordered in. So, John, best of luck with this, and hopefully it will uh, it will get lots of traffic and uh, make it possible for you to add a second installment, perhaps. Thanks for joining me today and sharing your story. All right. Thank you very much. My pleasure for Ex Libris On Air. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Do you ever wonder if you're the only woman who runs errands in her yoga pants so it will look like she went to the gym? Or how about the only mom who feeds her kids raw cookie dough? Or are you the only one who cooks her family cold cereal for dinner? Do you need more laughter and less loudness? More self-love and less self-loathing? More joy and less judgment? You're not alone. Come to The Living Room, a place where we get comfy, candid, and confident together. Come seeking sanctuary and leave feeling renewed. We are saving a seat for you. Give yourself some living room today.
Welcome back to Ex Libris. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is entitled Angelic Encounter. And my author, Sam Holm, is a writer, painter, and university instructor. He's also actively the founder and executive director of Angel Foundations, and he's also an artist. And I guess even uh, you I haven't been involved have been involved in other creative uh, efforts, Mr. Holm. Thank you, sir, for joining me today from California. Yes, I'm glad to be here and have this opportunity to share my story on a global level. And it's been a manifestation of, of my dreams and my studies and my research. And I'm happy to be able to be on air now to, to share with us this wide audience. Well, thank you, Sam, for joining me today. You have a, uh, a fascinating background. And just for my listeners' sake, tell a little of your family history and how this book got to be written. Well, it's the only story I know, and I've, I've, I've gone to psychology, a private psychology school, and I studied uh, C.G. Jung uh, about dreams, and I had a good professor who was a Jungian, and he was able to get the class to document into a, a journal next to my bed at night, and I documented my dreams, and it was in a sketchbook. As an artist, it wasn't, it was, easy for me to pick up the pen with a light, with a flashlight on it, and I was able to record because I was also fascinated, and as the class progressed to, to, to have a catharsis with my dreams and to just to analyze what I really want, want it in life. Now, and your, fa- now your, fa- your family originally is from China, and China has a, a very important, uh, almost as a character in your book because of the way your family experienced life there. Share with my listeners a little of when the story begins. Yes, like I said, it's uh, flashback scenes. Like I can, um, uh, just in my synopsis on my log line, a Chinese-American hero's son coming of age in East Oakland battles, battles bigotry and battles flashbacks of his flying character dad to become his own kind of hero. Riding with the Monkey King, celebrating and redeeming his father's love through art, and this takes us way back to to uh, Guangdong Province, 1930, the Sino Japanese American uh, involvement in southern China, the Burma Road. The Burma Road. You uh, have you, your story or your book has conversations in it. Uh, were those actual conversations or, I mean, a recreation of actual conversations, do you feel? Or were those uh, fictitious in the way that you have described them? They were come from my hearing my voices of my ancestors, hearing stories of my father, conversing with the, 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 the veterans who came into the grocery store, hearing him vent his catharsis, his trauma with other veterans, and he had a special uh, customers who have also had war experience in World War II. Mm. If he shared a beer with them, if he, he shared his, his his trauma, and I'm fortunate enough as a child, it, it scared me as well as as introduced me to his helped me to understand why he was silent with me, and helped me understand. Um, uh, what he went through, his PTSD, this, post-traumatic stuff. Yeah, th- th- and this was related to the pre-World uh, War II, the Burma Road is what you referred to. This, uh, When did your family migrate or, or immigrate to 
the San Francisco area? Um, my father, my grandfather came in the 1930s, and uh, and my my father followed him in the late 30s also to attend City College, and there he took engineering classes, and and when the war broke out or when the the Sino-Japanese uh, invaded Shanghai and moved south. Uh, my grandfather took him to uh, the family association. They all, my forefathers, were there to to share with him to recommend him to join the American Volunteer Group, which mm. was the AVG. Claire Chenault, uh, uh made it known as the Flying Tigers. Oh. Um, and, and that's where we became, or he became, uh, involved with the Flying Tigers, and it's been a high concept for, for my book and my screenplay adaptation. You uh, began to write this how long ago, and what was the length of time it took to complete Angelic Encounter? Oh, it, it, it was like a puzzle, from journal entries to uh, finalizing my first draft. I'm still making inserts as of this day. And I'm still polishing it. I still have master chapters I want to insert. Uh, but the one key one that I'm going to describe to you that'll, that's the most exciting is the long lo- log line and the uh, master scene uh, about uh, the protagonist, a boy sees his father beaten up. It's, it's 1950s grocery store. And uh, it, 1950s grocery store, Abba is beaten by the cucumber boy along with his girlfriend. Um, the cucumber boy it, it takes my father down and I'll see him observes from the, from the countertop on eye level. His girlfriend, uh, places uh, grapefruits into her, her bra and I'll see him and they can't, uh, Abba, and Abba, uh, and, and, and Abba is down, bleeding. Mm. Austin, the, the protagonist, runs to the shack fortress, and in the shack fortress, picks up his walkie-talkie. He says, Mayday, Mayday, please come in. Mayday, Mayday. Calling all cars. Now, and now I'm calling all, all angels. Uh, I hope our corporate sponsor will come in, and this will be manifested into something very divine was very cathartic as a as helping my father as well as other war veterans who had experienced trauma um i have jason scott lee uh already talked to him he wants to sign up uh as playing abba he's portrayed bruce lee in the bruce lee story uh, he's he's a high action motion picture star i also talked to bai ling I even have her, her friend who was a producer, Mr. Fong in LA. I'm gonna call him later next week. Uh, I'm gonna sign up by Ling as the Shanghai Bar Girl. I'm right now packaging something that I already got, uh, some of the biggest players who will, who, who I'm gonna share this screenplay adaptation, this book with. I'm bringing a copy to, uh, Michael Yang. He's Sony Pictures. Entertainment, Sony Entertainment, Hong Kong, and through um, this will really be a good moment for me as I seek corporate sponsors. When I get corporate sponsors who can 
provide 250000 to 500000 to cut. Uh, I will be able to attach an A director backed up by uh, a project director at Sony, and I'll realize my dream on an international landscape. You mentioned, I, yeah. I'm going to be painting a vibrant, colorful landscape of world China in the 1930s. Wow. It's a historical period piece. You mentioned Abba. Is that a name that is a reference of your father, or is that someone else yes. that is your father? Yes, it's my father. And was this, was this an actual incident that, that occurred, or one that you recall from your dream sequences? It's both dream as well as reality, as history and my research history. I linked into Burma Road, Abba, PTSD. He could never drive a, a car because he drove a truck on the Burma Road wow. as he uh, delivered uh, the, the parts. He was an engineer along with other Chinese-Americans who were a part of the AVG. He was uh, part of the 597th Air Engineering Squadron. I'm reading a back of, uh, of his discharge papers right now. It says 597th Air Engineering Squadron. And I have a letter right now in his discharge papers. To, written by Harry S. Truman, the mm. White House, to Mr. Tim F. Hom, to you who have answered the call of your country, serving in his armed force to bring about the total defeat of the enemy, I extend a heartfelt thanks of a grateful nation, as one of the nation's finest, you undertook the most severe task one can be called upon to perform, because you demonstrate the fortitude of resourcefulness and calm judgment necessary to carry out this task. We now look up to you for leadership and an example for exalting our country in peace. Harry S. Truman. Fabulous. So Fabulous. From that, I, I, I'm paying homage to my father and what he has experienced. Like he lived through a 9-11, 280 Japanese Imperial Air Force Nakajima swooped down upon him. And he ran, and through those flashback scenes, when he described it with his customers, I know, I know that he faced a 9/11 in his time in mm. in World War II, and I'm a product a product of a child of war. Like even the 9/11 has to show the impact what 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 uh, terrorism is like, what and I and I'm a, a living proof. Of uh, the survivor of a family who is a father figure, of a father that survived that trauma, and he had PTSD. So I have a treatment wow. plan now while I was going through psychology school. Between the lines, between my case study as a book for doctors, for veterans, for veterans of families and their children, because when that person faces trauma, it's so severe that it's in the neural pathways. I'm fortunate to be still one of very few have the neural capacity, find words, and now from from my paintings, I'll be able to use painterly words and eloquently and dramatically recall and my father's trauma that will help other war veterans who have PTSD treat their children who are going to be emotionally and physically scarred by his experience. Wives are, are, are in armed forces. 
and they bring home that trauma. It takes us like 40 days in that environment, in a war environment, in the Middle East now, and they can come home with it to bring it to their children. It becomes some emotional detachment as well as physical detachment. And what you're saying is anybody that has been involved or affected by war and has PTSD, you have some ideas and some concepts that may address that and will help them. Yes, I have a treatment plan. I have just by reading between the lines of my story of my father, and I have used the flying arts as a treatment plan. Somehow, on my blood pressure is still 119 or 103 over 68. I'm in fairly good health to 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 follow this into a major production. And if I can find corporate sponsors to provide me significant funding and backing, I will exalt on onto a treatment plan for doctors or for funding. I'll use this TV pilot and this motion picture to advertise and to promote a treatment plan for vet, war veterans and their families you have and a, for children of war. You have titled this Angelic Encounter, and then you also mentioned that you have uh, you have founded or been the director of Angel Foundation. What is the tie-in yeah, there? Because I'm right now just questing out for for angels, for corporate sponsors, I want to, if I can find them, I will be able to develop this foundation to be realized a dream. I will be able to advertise and brand and brand my, my content. So I want my audience to go to Angelic Encounter, Sam Home Author, and go to LinkedIn and email me, Westar. W-E-S-T-A-R-V-7777 at Comcast.net. And any corporate sponsor who will come in with a significant amount, I will be able to to take it to my contact at LinkedIn, Michael Yang, who's a project director at Sony Entertainment, Sony Pictures. And we will have a motion pictures to bring light on PTSD and on Asian American culture and Chinese culture. And I'll be able to share my story to the global audience. And we'll also, knowing that, but to be able to, to, to hire technicians, artists, actresses, uh, students of animation and CGI. And we're able to dramatically, uh, have a production company under the, the umbrella of a foundation funding and a foundation. So I will be able to in, have corporate sponsors come to me and I'll, I'll take them into the, an entertainment attorney along with, uh, with their corporate sponsorship and approach Sony Productions and to, to realize a dream, help brand them with credits uh, uh, with a feature film on the international global landscape. Sam, what is your wish as far as the impact of your book? i like to help global peace and to help my cause for war children. I've been part of a war child, a victim of war because of my dad's, I, I was aside my dad's PTSD syndrome and I grew up with him along his side and I have like to have the global honest contribute to a cause for war children and through my foundation. And please uh, contribute 
and and donate on corporate level at the individual level too to angelic encounter foundation and uh, help children of war if i've been a child of war it's an interesting concept. The The book itself reads like a novel in many respects, but it is actually based on fact, not fiction. Some of it may be imagined or from your imagination. However, it is uh, 224 pages, and anyone who reads this will get a great overview of World War II, some of the effect it had on some of the Chinese American who participated in World War II, some of the aspects of life in China. I think it's a, a novel approach, and certainly one that should be entertaining. Sam, where do my listeners get a copy of your book? Yes, please uh, Google title of my book, Angelic Encounter, A-N-G-E-L-I-C, Encounter, E-N-C-O-U-N-T-E-R, author Sam Hong, S-A-M, as in Uncle Sam, and Hong, H-O-M. H is in Howard, O is in Orville, M is in Michael or Mars, and I'll be happy to, and then to look, you know, you'll go to the Ex Libris Penguin Random House uh, postings and links, and then you can look into LinkedIn, or go to Ex Libris, or go to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, you can order my book, and you can just hit the links, and it'll hit you to a page for checking out to the cart. Wonderful. Sam, thank you for joining me today from San Francisco and sharing your insight and your story and the title of your book, Angelic Encounter. Uh, listeners, get a copy of it. I think you'll find it not only entertaining, but also informative. And uh, Sam, best of luck with your also extended desire to produce this into a movie format. We hope we can hear from you again and uh, get an update on what's happening. Yes, and please also... Uh, get to my email, best, W-E-S-T-A-R-V-7777 at comcast.net. Excellent. For Ex Libris On Air, this is J. Douglas Barker. Join us next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors. Right here on Ex Libris On Air.